You're listening to Coffee and Valkyries, a podcast about your favorite NWSL club, OL Reign. Welcome everyone to this episode of Coffee and Valkyries. For this episode, Susie and I are joined by Jeff Loggison of Prost America because we are, all three of us are here to talk about Megan Rapinoe's memoir that just came out today called One Life. Um, it's available at pretty much any bookstore uh, you, can, you can find it on, ebooks as well. And the audible version is narrated by Rapino herself. So Susie and Jeff, good evening. It's, uh, how are you guys doing? Good evening. Um, doing good. Yeah, no complaints uh, this week. Uh, doing good. Glad I got a chance to, to read the book. Yeah. So let's go straight into it. Uh, your overall impressions of Megan Rapinoe's uh, memoir. I'm happy to start. Um, I think my overall impression is that it um, definitely for folks who have gotten the chance to interact with Rapinoe like we have in press conferences, it just feels like Megan Rapinoe is telling you a story. It just feels very authentic to her and her voice. And um, that was something I really appreciated about it. Um, I think the my kind of big takeaway is that Rapino has been such an open book for her whole career. And so there's not in here like too much that it was particularly surprising to me, but it just provides so much um, depth to who she is and the decisions she made and really how her family has um, driven a lot of um, her path to where she is now in her career. Which I, my high level takeaway about the book. Yeah, I think I think something similar to I do think that anytime you're dealing with somebody who is is a member of a marginalized group, you know, growing up as a queer youth, um, anybody who can come up and tell their story, even if it's been told before, is going to uh, get it out there, and that will be good for people reading it for 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 that that side of things. From the standpoint of what happens in the bulk of the book in regards to her career. Uh, so much of the book takes place in the years where we've been covering her uh, that 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 ringside seat that we had for when she first knelt for when she came back from the World Cup and played more than she should have. Um, this is definitely the Megan Rapino we saw. This, this was exactly her voice. This is exactly who I've spoken with on several dozen occasions now because of covering the rain with with our little pool of reporters yeah uh both of you uh made some great points on your high level uh impression on her memoir um Susie, just to follow up on that and this is something you and i have talked about uh as we were both reading uh the review copies which by the way thank you penguin books for giving us some review copies before uh the release date, um, by the time some of you are listening to this, you probably have actually read the book already and finished it or had listened to the, um, the audiobook version because it is fast. Um, I'm not a fast reader, but even I was amazed at how fast it was. But it's like you said, Susie, it, you know, it, it's, it is Megan Rapinoe's voice where why say something in 10 words when six will do? Um, yeah, like you said, Susie, it's, you know, we had already seen, you know, like her life story unfold in front of our eyes, you know, from a public spotlight. So the analogy I, I, 
I put to this book is like, think of this like you've already put together a puzzle. Let's say you're 80% of the way through. So you already know what that puzzle is gonna be. Say it's like a, uh, an outdoor scenery, but you know, there's still some pieces that are, uh, you need to put in here and there. And I think those pieces then just flesh out or maybe add, like you said, you just add a little bit more depth to the overall package, the overall story that it's, that's being told. So it's like when she's talking about a little more background into just how big her family is, it's like that puzzle piece was like, say, an island in the middle of the lake. It's not the focal point of the whole picture, but, you know, it, it takes up some real estate that you can see right and then there that obviously plays a role in shaping up the rest of the landscape. Um, but yeah, um, I think um, this is why we're doing a podcast recording about this rather than you and I, Susie, writing up a, a quote-unquote review about this book is that the three of us, we've all sat, you know, at so many press, post-match press conferences and Rapino is within an arm's reach away from us. And, you know, we're talking, you know, asking her questions about what happened in that game, but then also picking up little anecdotes that she said over the course of those chats, whether it be post-game or at a training session or just even stuff like the few bits of times where we got to chat with her, you know, with, there wasn't a microphone and, you know, we're just kind of catching up on things like that. So this is why I'm, I'm glad that we're doing this versus just writing out whatever our thoughts would, it, would be about reading this book. Well, I think what's also important is how much availability she's given us. Um, she has been available after match, after match, after match, after match, even at times when she didn't necessarily need to because other players could have stepped in, but she's always known that uh, her particular status and, and whatnot came with a certain level of media responsibility. Um, and that is that has been something I've always found and appreciated that, that players like her and Fishlock um, have always made themselves available and, and been there when when it's been tough to be there. Uh, her willingness to just give direct answers to direct questions. Uh, you look at how she talks about her family. Her family in 2020 is so many families. It's people dealing with uh, a really divided country over very important issues. Um, and she's right in the middle of it and dealing with the repercussions of how that'll affect her relationships, both that have already happened and what is coming next, mm -hmm. you know, in the next phase of the world and, and, and that implication and her willingness to talk about that is, is important because people are dealing with that every day right now. Yeah. It's a very immediate book. I think it's going to be very much placed in the timestamp of 2020 when people look back at it. Such a, um, there's two really great points you just made there, Jeff. One is um, I think there's a narrative um, that exists in Seattle Rain fans a little bit right now that, you know, Rapino maybe doesn't care about her team, um, the Rain, right now. We haven't seen her for years. Is she ever going to suit up for the Rain again? And I, one, can't really. I know I know from her being so available and accessible and um, our relationship with her that she's fully committed to the Rain. Um, but on that point, I think there's not a significant focus on the rain as part of this book but there are just so many like really lovely sprinkles of her time with the club that i think just reinforce 
um, how she feels about the Predmores and the support she's gotten that I really appreciated. Um, um, references to Laura Harvey and how supportive she was when um, Rapino made decision to kneel. Um, so I just really liked just seeing those, even if they weren't a core focus of the book. And then, yeah, I was reflecting to Jacob that just feels like such an American story is like cheesy as it is to say that about um, growing up in a small town. She's had a lot of hardship. Her family's had a lot of hardship and she's struggling, you know, right now with what, like you said, so many families are, which is, you know, divided political beliefs. And despite all that, Rapino continues to be authentically just who she is and that has to be so powerful for people to see um, and, and see represented so well. It really gives context to a lot of the choices she's made uh, in, in, in her reflecting upon uh, when she first decided to and she was sitting down and, and people noticing and then that she was going to go through with it and move forward. It, it wasn't impulsive, it was thoughtful. Um, and I think that that is, that is something that the context of it is very useful, maybe for people who are genuinely trying to understand as opposed to just react to it. Yeah, and part of that um, look into understanding her thought process, it's also she's doing these things, you know, namely, you know, to support Colin Kaepernick, but she's also very well aware of her own privilege being a white woman, being that she's she's knelt, you know, while wearing the USA uniform and while she was pretty much on the cusp of losing her national team status, she hasn't been, you know, she's still playing for a club. She's still playing for the national team and she's well aware of, that privilege that she has, that she still has her livelihood, but then, you know, as we know, Colin Kaepernick doesn't. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, she also makes some calls to other athletes of prominent, uh, higher profiles than her, you know, to do the same. And we have seen it ever since, you know, Kaepernick first knelt in 2016 and then her solidarity for him. You know, we have seen other uh, higher profile athletes, namely white athletes, you know, take up that message, especially more so this year, because, you know, we've all been stuck in our homes uh, because of the pandemic. And for a lot of us, we've been able to take stock, okay, what is most important in not only my life, but also the world around me, whenever I get out of, you know, being stuck at home, and we can actually, you know, go about our, our daily lives like normal, as we all wish uh, the, the days will, will be coming soon. But I remember in talking with her last year when we'd finally gotten uh, to do another interview with her as part of our podcast, and I'd ask her about the progress of the book and how it was coming along and what, you know, what sort of like a preview can you give for us? I remember her saying that it wasn't going to be like a full-on detailed autobiography that you'd see other athletes uh, have done. Like my examples would be Diego Maradona and Hope Solo's autobiographies both fascinating stories, but incredible, like, those were not fast reads. Um, but, uh, you know, she had said, it, yeah, it's, you know, going to kind of go over my life story that, you know, yeah, everybody kind of knows, but, you know, you get little bits in here and there. But then she's also, had also mentioned about sprinkling, like, what are things we can do now and moving forward in terms of becoming a better person, using whatever platform we have, whether regardless if you're a fame, famous athlete or not and uh like towards the end of the book like i i really liked how she was unapologetic about yes i'm totally seizing the spotlight because the spotlight that's never 
probably will never get bigger on me for many reasons. But then with that comes, you know, the fame and the fortune of like, well, you know, if I'm getting all these deals to do this, that, or whatever, then hell yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy a little bit, uh, a fancy watch, some fancy shoes. Um, Jeff, you and I both being wrestling fans, as uh, the Nature Boy Ric Flair has said, style and profile. Megan Rapinoe yep. is totally doing that. And who is, who are we? Who's anyone, you know, to judge it for seizing that and being proud that, yeah, I have money and I'm gonna spend it how I how I want to as much as I use it to take care of my family yeah but I'm also gonna style and profile it is okay to take care of yourself yeah um, and that is part of the message that that she talks about in there um, at the same time I don't think she's flaunting it um, acknowledging it was probably good because it can diffuse some things but at the same time she's she's gone about her business in such a way as to present herself I think pretty authentically and she likes to dress up and do some things and have a little fun and that's okay you know, there's nothing wrong with that I mean you see uh, male athletes showing up in designers you know several thousand dollars silk suits um, that is treating themselves it's the same idea um, so I do think that that her willingness to get up there and do those things uh, and, and acknowledge that, yeah, I'm, I am being paid decent uh, money uh, for doing this is, is okay. Yeah, I think she made a good point about like, unless we normalize and start talking about how much we get paid, like it's just gonna continue to be awkward and we have to start talking about it a little more. And in that context, I thought it was interesting, a little spoilery, but nothing's really spoilery in the book, but um, that she talked about um, men, male athletes are often given sponsorships that recognize their potential, um, where female athletes are given sponsorships because they've proven themselves over and over and over. They don't often lead with the potential. And I thought that was a really interesting point. You, you see a lot of female athletes and she, she talks about how much of a sponsorship she got. And I would argue she should have been paid a lot more. Um, if we are thinking about potential and the platform that some of these female athletes have. Yeah. And then there was that other um, the situation where she recounted, or at least it was relayed to her, where her family member who was a, a teacher later on in the book, like she was, I think her aunt was being offered a, a position at the school she was teaching. And she basically said, well, I want a pay raise if you're going to elevate me to this thing. And she was inspired by the national team's desire for equal pay. And then I think this is where this, the spoiler bit comes in. What does that school do? It just, she just fires her. And, you know, I think her aunt tells her that like, you know, yeah, it was a losing battle, but I still fought for, I think what was right and well-earned for me. And, you know, she was inspired because of uh, Megan and the national team's uh, fight for equal pay, which is still ongoing. I thought that was another really interesting part of the book and um, people should read it and I won't spoil all, all of it, but she gave a little bit more depth into what those negotiations looked like as they were negotiating their um, contracts with the, with us soccer and how hard it was. Um, I think a lot of people point to their most recent contract and saying, well, you agreed to it. And she gives a lot of context about how there's much more of a story than just will you agreed to it yeah. that I think is really worth people um, reading. 
Yeah, there's also a lot more depth about maybe her struggles uh, staying in the national team picture mm -hmm. over the last three, four years, given injury and controversy and her relationship with the coach. Um, when you have a national team coach situation, as opposed to a club GM, the national team coach has so much control over who actually plays for it compared to a, a club team coach that, you know, that relationship between her and Jill was, was strained. Um, we knew it. You know, she flat out says it was, again, well, I, I don't want to take away too much from people reading it because I do want them to read it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was one part of the book where it's kind of like, you know, we kind of know this story for the most part. We're like, we have a pretty good idea of like how things are. But then when her recounting basically in detail, uh, maybe not full on detail, but just enough to kind of confirm it, it's like, yeah. Um, She's not really going to miss Jill Ellis. Nope. <laughs> and players have bad relationships with coaches sometimes. It just happens, but they still manage to succeed together. And yeah. And, and, that, and she and talks that about how it. she grew in that um, context where, um, with, I won't spoil it, but I will just say there was a very shocking to me conversation she had. She, she talks about with Jill Ellis during the 2015 World Cup that kind of blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I read, I read, I, when I got to that chapter, I was like, seriously? And like, you know, I'm not like a giant Jill Ellis fan, but even I was like, wow, that's, uh, that's an interesting uh, gamble there, uh, Jill Ellis. <laughs> was there anything you felt like you wanted to know a little bit more about like, like maybe like, not as like overall package, but just like, was there like a certain chapter or aspect of her life that she was talking about where you kind of wish you'd had learned a little bit more about? Yeah, I, I do. I do wish that there was a little bit more about what's next. Um, I, I think, you know, projecting uh, her post playing career uh, aspirations in greater detail, because if there isn't a public, uh, element to her career after playing, as she said, her spotlight will fade. You know, how she plans to navigate that or is looking to navigate that. Will she, what will she do? I mean, you see Julie Foudy now with 20 years at ESPN really still has that platform. You know, will, will Megan try and do something like that? That's the, the question, you know, or is she gonna try and go the Ellen route? You know, keep interviewing people on Instagram and working through social media. I, I'm curious to see where that goes and she doesn't really talk about it and she doesn't have to, but that would have been interesting to me you know, keeping that spotlight. How is she going to keep her voice relevant? Hey, I'm all for her replacing Ellen DeGeneres and she, she just takes over <laughs> that talk show. Yeah. That would be so fun. <laughs> um, I think for me, um, I, it's hard for me to say because I do, I do really appreciate how quick of a read it was, like we, we've talked about. The one area that I just personally was interested in is as it relates to her relationship with Jill Ellis. Um, she talks a lot about the strains um, but Megan Rapinoe did get named um, captain in, for the 2019 World Cup, and I would just be fascinated to learn a little bit more about how that came to be, um, considering that they'd had some tense relationships the two years prior. That's just a personal one for me. You know, sometimes people don't have to always see eye to eye to know that they're good for each other. Yeah. You know, in a situation, you see that with sports a lot of the times. Uh, you see it with the Seahawks here in Seattle. 
Um, often the demons didn't like each other. They won a Super Bowl together. Didn't matter, right? Yeah. So sometimes people can see through uh, the smoke and they can filter out the white noise and they can get to the most important thing. And the reason that they achieve so much is their ability to focus on the end goal. And in the end, Rapino and Ellis did work together and succeed at an extraordinarily high level over a period of time. And that's a testament to both of them, to be honest. Yeah, I actually said that last year that I think the smartest thing she did was make Rapino captain because it set the tone for the team that like, we're bold, we're gonna do it. Like, we believe in ourselves, um, you know, don't, don't listen to the noise. And I think um, you saw Alex Morgan sipping tea, which I'm not sure I would have guessed Alex Morgan five years ago. <laughs> would have done so um uh i think yeah i think it was such a smart decision yeah and megan even said in i think in the chapter where she talks about her her time playing for the red stars is that you don't even have to like each other to be a, a successful team mm -hmm. i mean which we know that is you know that is a proven thing across all team sports like nobody has to be kumbaya to be successful on the field what about you jacob um, it's kind of, it almost feels like unfair for me to say this, but like when the chapter she's talking about her brother, Brian, I kind of, I would have, I would have liked to have a little bit more about, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, that, you know, that person in her life and just, you know, how he's been in and out of the, the prison system, uh, because addiction is just a terrible thing. And then of course, you know, the, the criminal justice system has, you know, is, doesn't want to come up with an actual humane solution to that other than just throw somebody behind into a cage and, you know, shame them and shame them. But I, I think when I say like, I kind of would have liked to see a bit more in that, it would have been something like if they, if Megan was willing to share like, a part of a letter or a text message that she might have exchanged with Brian. And I totally understand if, you know, neither party want to do that for the sake of, because that is a private, you know, family conversation between a brother and a sister. Nobody else needs to know because um, from, you know, so it's like, again, it's like unfair for me to say that I wanted to see something more in that chapter, but you know, it's just, it would have been, uh, it would have been nice just to have that a little bit of detail into just something about that. But, you know, I don't hold it against anybody for say, like, I'm just going to talk about Brian in this way. And, you know, I'm not sharing any like personal letters or text messages because that's still something that I'm going to hold sacred between me and my brother. It's everyone's reactions are valid to what they want more of. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, you know, I think in part of the point of her talking about her brother, Brian, was to spotlight, you know, how just how inhumane it is that, you know, the criminal justice system is, if somebody has a substance abuse problem, it is throw them in a cage and just shame them into thinking that they'll just get themselves right. And we know that's just, that, that's not how it goes. That's how it shouldn't go. If we, if this is supposed to be a country, you know, set on ideas of treating people equally and fairly. Yeah, Oregon's going to be an interesting case study for that with decriminalizing drugs. 
different topic for a different day. <laughs> so it sounds like you are sending us an invite to party at your house. When Come we over to my house. <laughs> when we can all gather when it's safe to gather. The, the only other part that I would have liked more of is soccer. Um, from a tactical standpoint, if you get her talking about the game after a game mm, yeah. and you throw her a bone about a play, she will start breaking down that play and talking about it with a gleam in her eye. Uh, the soccer IQ there is pretty high. I would have loved to have seen a little more of that, but I understand that it's really not a sports book. Yeah. You know, yeah, the nuggets that she did not, include in there, I really loved. So I can, I can definitely feel that part. Like she talks a few, a little, like a few times about, well, how her game developed and why she plays the way she does, just um, based on her physical stature growing up. But also, there was like a few things she remembered from the World Cup that she mentioned in greater detail um, that I was like, oh, I love that. And, that. and that's one of the things about covering the NWSL that's been uh, my favorite part is that, yes, we've had the opportunity to cover somebody who's as an important and interesting figure as Megan, um, but we've also had an opportunity to talk to people who are at an extraordinary high level. We, we sometimes forget because of the economics of the NWSL just how good a league it is. Um, and you ask an Ali Long, you ask a Julie Ertz, you ask a Becky Sauerbrunn a soccer question, and they just look at you and they just go, and they're tired, and it's just a group of a few of us in a little room that they're talking to, and they will just go, and the, that, that part is so nice when we get it, mm -hmm. and I look forward to being able to ask players those questions again down the road. <laughs> This is a question that I came up with a few minutes before we all hopped onto Zoom and started talking about this. Does it come off, does the way the book ends with an epilogue and as much as uncertainty because, you know, this was written while the pandemic was going on and we all sit in our respective homes really not knowing what's going to happen next, obviously. But does it come off as more optimistic under the backdrop of the election being over and that we know that there's going to be a new administration uh, that, you know, up to this point has actually announced that this is, you know, they have actually announced a plan as to how to uh, deal with this pandemic. But then also this administration is the first one to have a vice president that's a woman of color and the significance of the, of just the historical significance that is, uh, you know, leaving um, has left already on a lot of people when they watch those uh, victory speeches over the weekend and just what it means to so many people, especially women of all uh, ethnicities and backgrounds. Well, speaking as the middle-aged white guy, uh, the, that's, that's the bluntly honest thing here. I am all of the privilege um, in, in, in what I represent. I watched Kamala Harris talk the other night, Vice President-elect Harris, and it was so amazing just to listen to her knowing what she represents and the, the ceiling that she shattered and how many attempts over the last several decades have been made to get someone like her into that spot and it was real and it was there and I can't even imagine how someone who isn't me 
um, and what I resent, what that must have felt like for them, because it's always been, as the vice president, me. Um, so it, it was it was pretty powerful from my standpoint, just sitting there realizing, you know, other people were in the club now. Yeah, I think it, um, I that's when it really hit me when she started speaking. Honestly, that's like the moment that it all became really real for me. Um, I think if I were to channel Rapino, I might um, say like obviously it it shifts um, a huge um, like lifts a huge weight off of everyone's shoulders, um, and the WNBA players like rallied to try to get um, some changes in Georgia because um, to you know um, they have a WNBA owner who does not support the majority of her players and their their Black Lives Matter movement. Um, so there's a runoff in Georgia in January and so much work for, for folks to still do. And I'm sure that's what Rapino has already shifted her mind to. Mm -hmm. I think she's so much, she's become so much more politically aware and, and it's been awesome just to see that journey for her. And um, I'm sure she's gonna be campaigning and doing lots of great stuff. Yeah, I can totally picture her doing her virtual press conferences for this book and she's just sprinkling in throughout those the countless interviews that she's doing. It's like, yeah, by the way, vote Warnock. <laughs> that was though, I was actually just going to add one more thing that I was reflecting on when I was reading the book and Jeff's comments made me think of it as well, which is like, it was just a reminder of like when she started playing for the national team, she was, and for a very long time was the only out gay player. Um, and just how far we've come since she started in many ways and just how much, how much value there is in people like her coming out um, and more and more players being comfortable doing that where now, <laughs> you know, um, there's a lot more out gay players and Rapino made comments like the last world cup like you can't win a world cup without gays um <laughs> and it's just like normal um so i just that was a big reflection for me reading her story do you guys have any other closing thoughts about megan rapino's memoir that you'd like to share the only thing I i'd like to add is that i look forward to her continuing uh, to be an interesting person to cover. I don't think we've seen the last of her in Tacoma playing the ring. Um, I think COVID and a chance to heal. Uh, I don't think that enough attention paid to the fact that realistically she needed to take a break from soccer for six months. Um, I think she was going to nurse her way through the spring. They sat her through matches here and there. I think she was going to nurse her way through the Olympics and then she was going to sit her ass down. Um, and I think she's done that in advance. Um, the opportunity of her coming back strong and healthy um, and making a run at the Olympics and doing some stuff with the rain um, is, is very realistic for an athlete uh, to do. And I think that, that if she wasn't coming back, we'd know. Yeah. And the fact that, that, that she hasn't said she's not coming back is because she is. And she dragged herself onto the pitch against Portland last year and barely could function after that she fell asleep in that press conference but i mean it, it, it before heading to milan right you know remember that conversation mm -hmm. and it was just yeah I, I i think that 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 fire is still there we're gonna see her again that's that's my last thought i just i think i just say that i think um 
when I think about this book, I think it's really for anyone. Um, I think that there's nuggets of the story that would resonate with anyone, a teenager, um, an older, whether you're a soccer fan or just a fan of interesting people. Um, that, that would be my final thoughts. Yeah, well said, uh, both of you. Um, just to, to add on to Jeff's point, yeah, we, I don't think we've seen the last of Megan Rapinoe, the soccer player. Um, anytime we've chatted with the team about her returning for 2021, they've all given us the indication that, yeah, she plans to be, you know, obviously the biggest factor, understandably for anybody is where is this country, where, where are we as a country in terms of, you know, responding to this pandemic? If she doesn't feel safe playing it because there's still a chance she could contract it, then, you know, that's going to be why she doesn't play. But we all know that her and some of the other national team players, you know, they do want to use the now 2021 Olympics as their their final swan song with the national team so they can complete that sweep of winning the World Cup and then winning the, the Olympics uh, back, you know, consecutively. And so Rapino's spot on the national team is not guaranteed. Um, and she, I'm pretty sure she said that many times over uh, whenever someone's asked her a soccer question is that, you know, she has to play club games to make sure that she is still good enough to be on the national team. Um, and with your part, Susie, yeah, I think obviously if you're a Megan Rapinoe fan, you're going to buy this book. You already bought this book. You're already listening to it. You already given it, you know, five stars said, you know, very nice words, all that stuff. But even just as a, is this a, is this a biography of an interesting person? Absolutely. And I think uh, anybody that just has that sort of interest in reading biographies about interesting people will definitely be entertained by the story of Megan Rapinoe up to this point. Because I feel like this is a book where we, you know, the three of us have learned some stuff, but still for the most part, we kind of knew everything or at least had a good idea because it, it was at, at a point in reading this book for me, it was like, it felt weird, but in a good way because we were adjacent to some of these moments that were happening with her, with her playing career. But I also feel like this is just phase one of what Megan Rapinoe, the athlete, the advocate, the ambassador, you know, is going to be. And I think phase two is where we don't know what it's going to be. Obviously, the pandemic has altered everybody's, you know, plans and for, you know, what to go, what to do in the moment, but also in the immediate future with their jobs, their futures, what have you. But I feel like this book is a nice way to summarize, but also give you the idea of like, she's far from done from as far as a soccer player, but also just as a, who she is as a person that wants to be an advocate and a fighter for social causes, for equality, for inclusive, uh, inclusive, uh, inclusiveness, fairness, and, you know, all those things that, you know, we all in our own ways are figuring out how to become a better person, not only to ourselves, but to others. You're here. Indeed. <laughs> so with that, thank you, friends, for taking the time to hop on Zoom and, you know, doing our own little book club. <laughs> thank you for having me. Uh, we should do this again when Fishlock's book comes out. Yeah. Good idea. I can't wait for that one. All right. And again, everyone, for those listening, Megan Rapinoe's memoir, One Life, is available at all bookstores, physical and digital. And if you want the audiobook version, it's on Audible. It is narrated by 
Megan Rapinoe herself. And also credit to Emma Brockies who co-wrote this or basically, you know, did the the unenviable task of, uh, or maybe enviable task of calling and exchanging text messages, emails, all that stuff with Megan Rapinoe to make this book happen. 